Hey folks, in today's episode, we talk to the founder of WGN in HR, Joe Rencher. She shares her experience in coaching and consulting executives in business, and we talk about what works and what doesn't work in leadership. We try to test our hypothesis against what she's seen. Does love and humanity belong in the workplace? You're going to love what she has to say about it. So enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Love is a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. And we believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Mom, a director at Softway, a technology company that brings and transforms company cultures. And I'm here today joined by my co-hosts, Frank Dana, director of Softway. Hey, Frank. Hey, Jeff. And Chris Petrie, Vice President. Hey, Chris. Hey. And each episode, we like to dive into one element of business or strategy and test our theory of love against it. And we have a guest today. I'm very excited to have join us. Uh, is Joanne Rencher, who we, you see on your screen if you're watching, is going by Joe. Joe Rencher, host of the Real Talk podcast and author of Tough as Nails, Finding Your Voice as a Woman in the Workplace. Joanne has had an incredibly diverse career so far. She started at GE and ended up as the chief people officer at the Girl Scouts of America. And today, she focuses her efforts on consulting in the HR space and has founded her own business, WGN in uh, Consulting. Uh, So welcome to the show, Joe. How are you? I'm doing really well. Great to be here. Excited. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, if you're familiar with the show at all, we will actually start with um, an icebreaker. We Uh-oh. used to give ev- we used to give everyone a unique icebreaker, which put them on the spot quite a bit. We found it easier to just choose one question, and then we'll let you go last, Joe, so you have time to prepare. Oh, Frank, what's your number one tip for combating distractions while working from home? Number one tip for combating distractions. I would say um, if you're doing any brainstorming where you need to be focused, as focused as possible, do not use a computer. So one of the things that I've done is I'll take my notebook downstairs um, into a room that has no electronics at all and brainstorm with no connection at all to any sort of electronics or technology. Um, And I find that it helps me stay very focused and then I'm able to bring myself back to the technology when I need to. Um, but that has been proven to be very helpful when I just need a little bit of time to actually focus my energy and my thoughts. I like it. I'm going to try that, actually. Chris, same question. Um, my tip is actually going to be to embrace them. Um, so I know for me personally, I will spend more energy trying to ignore something that's very bothersome rather than just spend the time to go and address it and then get it done with. Um, so my my sister has a dog that I will sometimes watch and he can be a distraction. But if you just like if he's hungry, if he needs to go out, whatever the case may be, if you just deal with it, then he stops bothering you. <laughs> um, but also when you think about like the Pomodoro uh, method, or if you spend, you know, 20 minutes on and then give yourself breaks, 
it actually helps you to focus more. So sometimes those distractions are actually timed for the Pomodoro method where you actually force yourself to break. So you're not so heavily concentrated that you actually lose um, energy, um, lose the mental capacity to continue on. You're not sort of stressed beyond measure. Um, so I always, I would tell people to think about embracing their distractions and also it lets you lead an authentic life where if you are a parent, you need to acknowledge that you have kids at home, right? Versus try and avoid the, the reality of you being at home with kids. Nice. Agreed. Joe, what is your number one, sorry, what's your number one tip for combating distractions and working from home? So there's a distinct disadvantage to going last. Because people take your, people just take your stuff. Um, you can you can say that's what I. You can totally say that I had that in mind the whole because time. Because I that was it. Actually, what Chris said really, I mean, that honestly re really resonated with me because I tend to step right into the distraction and and um, I love the flexibility of working from home from the home office. I I love it. I love being able to just kind of, you know, sort of set my own pace. And so if something is happening. Like that happened just yesterday. You know, I really needed to give my attention to something. I was able to just sort of like hop off the call, you know, and 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 go go tend to that, and then think about what I was doing later on. So I just I lean right into it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if I'm with a client and you know it's a major mm -hmm. project, I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna lean into the distraction. But I do think it's important to just kind of go with the, you know, the flow that you're in. And take advantage of the flexibility because I mean, let's face it, it's hard to it's harder to do that in a more structured setting. And we've all, you know, this is the greatest work from home experiment ever known to man. And we, we should we should take advantage of it. So <laughs> I, I like to take advantage of yeah, it. Yeah, that's great. Like I was like I have just, I know some people are like, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed. This is so hard. I'm like, I've been enjoying it. Like, <laughs> I've just been <laughs> like me, me and my sister have been talking about this like nausea. We're like, I know what we have coworkers that are just like, this is so hard for me and I get it. But for us, we're like, this mm -mm. has been a joy, I like, know. nothing but a joy. Right. We have just been having fun. It's like, I <laughs> I can, I don't have to dress up. Like, I like I've saved on dry cleaning, saved on gas. <laughs> like we just been so excited. And you know, when we have that, like be in those meetings where people are complaining about it, we just like sit quietly and I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't have anything to add to this. Like I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, Chris. I am a hundred percent with you, especially having come from a two hour commute into the city. Oh. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's nice. It's yeah, that's nice. a lot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's night and day. All right. Mm -hmm. Joe, I gave you, I gave a very LinkedIn style introduction to you in my, in my opening there's so much more to you as I already know. So if you don't mind, can you give kind of yourself that introduction and kind of talk about where your passions lie really? What, what, you know, what you have to share today? Hmm. Well, I guess when I think when I, when I, if I were to put a, a sort of a, a marker or some sort of label on, on my career, it would just be all about figuring out how to get other people to that next level. I mean, that's kind of the thing that speaks to me. And I and I never really understood it that way because as I, as as you noted, I started off in financial services. I worked for some pretty amazing brands, and you, you know had a, had a real opportunity to do some amazing work across different sectors and globally and and um, domestically. And it was I would always kind of come back to how can I how am I spending my time and how is this helping anything? Like what difference is any of this making? 
in the life of a person or you know the company or the business and so going from financial services to the nonprofit sector and spending time in some as i said major iconic brands and getting to be the first this or the first that first chief people officer for the red cross or the first um uh you know global hr leader to build a public private partnership um for the international aids vaccine initiative those things are big jobs but at the at the kernel of it it's how am i helping move this needle forward does the, mm. is is the business better because i'm here you know are people getting to that next level is the mo is the model working so i've always had a passion about kind of pushing towards that question and so it's kind of full circle now that i'm doing i'm i'm running my own shop you know i get to do that you know over and over and over again for for different clients across a, a, a you know a a broad por portfolio, but in financial services, uh, data science and technology, and the nonprofit sector, um, areas that, I, that I've gotten to know fairly well, I now get to do that for you know, C-suite leaders and board members and um, just everyday leaders. How do we get you to the next level? The you might be your business or your team, but it's always the same question, and I love it. I love the, I, I'm a complete geek about what I do. I could talk and talk and talk about it, um, because I always felt when I was on the inside, so to speak, of other businesses, I was always kind of leaving maybe 40% of myself somewhere, 40% of my potential, you know, that I could really push the envelope in, in certain areas or innovate and, and really press toward that mark. You know, I couldn't really do it um, with the level of freedom that I can do it now. So that's what I do. I help people get to the, to the next level. Nice. That's awesome. It's I was just going to ask a question or just follow up. Yeah. So in sort of <clears throat> being, I'm going to say the wind beneath someone's wings is basically what I'm taking away from what you right. said. Mm -hmm. What is your biggest challenge or what do you see most often or a commonality in the leaders that you work with, support, push, talk to, help mm -hmm. um, in terms of like, because I know that we're all unique, but at the end of the day, we we tend to all want the same things and in leadership, we tend to want to see the same outcomes, mm -hmm. you know, whether that be business outcomes or outcomes for our people, but just curious to know like what you see and, and what you, what you come to know in your um, experiences. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, it's a, it's a tough question for me to answer. And I think the answer, I think the reason is because is because my answer is that, yeah, they're common threads that, you know, leaders have and, and, and businesses have, and, you know, whether it's more revenue or, you know, you, you, you're expanding or it's a program, it's a business transformation or it's a new program or whatever it is, there's, there's certain common threads in business, but I find, and which is what's exciting to me, um, that every leader is so different hmm. that the, those uniquenesses are either, you know, things that you can latch onto and sort of help propel them to that next level or things that you could sort of like smack your head and say, wow, this is how you've been doing stuff. This, <laughs> how, how, how could you possibly have been this successful? <laughs> you know, you, you, and then, and then you have everything in between because people, mm -hmm. you know, we're all so different. And so you yeah. put, you put the unique individual in the context of, a, of, you know, any business, any company, any organization, and you get all these different variations of success. Um, or not so, you know, not not success, and that's where I that's where I entered the picture. You know, mm -hmm. the, the the opportunity to problem solve, which I love, 
um, and, nice. and to do it with the uniquenesses of the person and you know what makes people tick. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a true. I know it sounds corny, but I'm a true people person. So I like study people, and really observe and try to understand them. And so the differences in leaders is just fascinating to me. So that's 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 the heart of of why I love what I do because no two problems are the same. I may bring mm -hmm. the same toolkit. You don't have to reinvent wheels. Yeah. I may bring the same toolkit, but no two problems are are the same because people are so unbelievably different. Yeah. Nice. I stand corrected. There are a lot of differences between people and leaders. <laughs> <laughs> let it let it be known yeah. on this day. Yes. Yeah. What is the I day? wanted to the nineteenth of the nineteenth. August nineteenth. Uh, yeah. we, we have I took note. Yes. Yeah. Um so how can you get how what do you where do you start uh, getting people to that next level? If you're seeing an opportunity in that individual I know that you mentioned that you you'll bring the same toolkit for a different variety of problems, right? Mm -hmm. but what do you what do you how do you typically start with um, getting them to that next step? Mm -hmm. So in 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 my business, what just popped into to mind, and I never really thought about it this way, but I think it, I think it applies nicely. Um, in in at my firm WGN and HR, we we talk a lot about five principles. Uh, not in any particular order. Um, I'm, I'm going to just name them speed, precision, impact, growth, and service. And so at any given time, those principles are in operation and helping people to think about, well, what is that next level? And, you know, so speed, for example, you know, consultants get oftentimes a, a pretty bad rap, but, but also a, a true rap, you know, which is, it take a long time to sort of come back to an answer that I could have found myself. Um, and your methodology is a little cumbersome and the decks are, the, the PowerPoint decks are a little long. Um, and, you know, you got a lot of people on that team, you know, did, do we really need that? Are we paying for all of that? The you know, billing, so you have yeah. certain, certain, um, <laughs> certain MOs in this world where I think speed is really um, pivotal to, to actually helping people you know, because sometimes you, you you have a window of opportunity when you, I like to start with the end in mind. And when I work with a client or I have a conversation, I'm starting like, what what's the end goal? Let's work our way backward. And, you know, when I think about that, I don't want to go at a sort of a glacial pace to, to do that. I want to help them build on the momentum when they get excited about something. So speed matters, but precision matters. I don't want to just go fast just to go fast. I want to I want to be precise. I want to understand. I want to listen really well. And then I want to understand, okay, let me zoom in here because looks like looks like this is where some of the issues are. And I want to pat, you know, peel that onion away until there's nothing else to peel and be really precise about what it is we're doing and how you're how you're spending your time and, and your money, you know, to to help me uh, or to work with me to help you on your solutions. And then that whole, you know, that growth to me, that's the that's the that's the differentiator. When somebody or a business wants to get to that next level, you know, growth means very different things to different people, to different industries, to different businesses. I was talking to, you know, with a, a client yesterday and, you know, they're struggling with, you know, what does growth mean? It's a nonprofit client. And so what, you know, they have to be able to prove to donors that they can actually not grow responsibly and not just sort of, you know, raise you know, they, they and increase operating expenses without having something to show for it. So what is growth right. in that particular world? 
and then impact uh, you know that speaks for itself you know if we if we can't show something measurable when all is said and done you know you could talk about the wind beneath your wings all you know all you want <laughs> but you know what difference did it make if you can't answer that question in tangible terms then you know it doesn't doesn't really matter and then the service thing is really personal for me because i always feel like i'm in service to some to someone and to people and to to businesses you know i i, I like to think in terms of serving you know because it gets me out of the way you know as you know it gets it, it keeps me tamed and humble you know because i'm i'm you know it's not about me it's in service i mean i don't always i don't always always um you know i have to sometimes be reminded but i do really work hard to think about service you know i'm, I'm serving you so if i'm serving you or if i'm serving that business mm. you know getting to the next level is all of where my energy comes from. It's all where my, oh, where my creativity comes from. And that's, that's, you know, that, that should be gold at the end. Mm. Help me um, like connect the, with the role that I'll call it love, but you can mm -hmm. call it culture or any of those, um, you know, tools. Where does that exist in your world? Like, how does that, how, do, what kind of role does that play? Hmm. Well, I could give a little bit of a story, please, and make it, you know, somewhat, somewhat. Um, you know, when people say long story short, and then they go on for like forever, and it's like it's too late <laughs> to say that. It's too late. I want the, I want the long. I want the long version. You okay. like long stories? Um, oh, okay. All right. So, <laughs> set the stage. All right. I I was a chronic introvert i mean to the point where you know i mean i always i always liked school i know that sounds a little nerdy but i did like school and i did you know i liked um you know the different subjects not all of them but i i really enjoyed the kind of like bookwormy parts of stuff of, of of school but i wasn't expressive about anything and so you know and parent teachers conferences is that what they call it the, the parent teacher night and whatever mm -hmm. you know my parents would go and they'd say yeah she's good she's really good but she doesn't talk she doesn't say anything so i was very very introverted and very uncomfortable with not only my figurative voice but my literal voice because i used to be teased mercilessly by these really mean kids that would convince me that i sounded like a man and my voice was so deep and, you know, just, I, you know, it was really, it was kind of rough growing up. And so I was very um, insular and closed in how I thought about things. And so while I felt like I always had a really big heart and compassion for people and, you know, I was that person that, you know, if someone was crying, it's like, I'm crying too. Why am I crying? You know, someone's tears actually caused my, caused me to cry. I was always that person. I could, it was always hard to express it because of this kind of introverted nature and, and closed way of being. And so when I got, you know, as I started to get older and, and sort of find that, you know, find myself, I guess, and, and really get comfortable, you know, talking, um, it was sort of like, wow, I really like talking. Um, and I really like what I have to say. And I think other people like what I have to say. And I got more comfortable with myself and what I sounded like, and, and it it caused me to think, and to get back to your question, Jeff, it caused me to think um, that I could actually use my voice to make a difference, not just in the work, you know, the work world and all the, you know, 
business sense, but you know, to actually show love and compassion. I could actually show that part of myself. You know, I put my toe in the water periodically. You know, if someone walked in, you know, when you're, when you're in HR, people come into your office and they tell you, you know, some pretty, you know, messed up stuff at times. And, you know, it's, it, it can get very complicated just by nature of, you know, by virtue of what we do or, or, or what happens in the field. And so I would put my toe in the water and really just connect with people on a very personal level. When Once I found my own voice, I discovered, wow, I think I'm supposed to be using this in ways that are well beyond just business. I'm supposed to be encouraging other people and helping other people, um, you know, maybe sometimes crying with other people that that matters in the workplace just as much as the, the, the business matters. So um, I think love has a total place in the workplace. It has, it has a spot there that we don't use that we take, that we take for granted or that we think is mushy or dumb, but I think that's what makes us human. And so why should we, hide that when we enter the workplace if you know people bring all of themselves to work and their baggage and all their issues um you're not just dealing with a performance problem you're dealing with that whole person and so i i learned how to not only once i found my own voice but to use it to sort of tease tease out the voices from other people like what are you really thinking what's behind this well why were you so upset about that you know help me understand and i think that makes a difference I think leaders are often uncomfortable with that. You know, I don't show up to client meetings talking about that on day one, but um, I do. I do like to operate that way because once I found it for my, once I found my own way of expressing myself, I really, mm-hmm. I, I am kind of like on this quest to make sure other people can can do the same thing. Awesome. So, um, saying that you don't show up on the first day talking about that. How does it show up? Like, when do you find the opportunity to bring up this part of the conversation with leaders who may not see the importance or the connection between maybe their behaviors or their own psychological safety with their teams and the outcomes that they're trying to seek or drive in the business? Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes those moments are, are very spontaneous, but I think even spontaneous moments need preparation. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember once, I was in um, a CEO's office and we were having the conversation about a major change that was going on for them that was going to result in them having to transition. And, you know, they, uh, it, uh, the transition was not in their control. And so there was just a lot that, you know, you can imagine after several years with the business and, you know, you're, you're, you were at the helm and all of a sudden now, You've got to step back from all of that involuntarily and you've got to figure out how to, you know, like, what, what do I do now? You know, what's next for me? Um, mm-hmm. Your ego takes a massive hit. And I remember saying to that person, I'll never forget this moment where I actually, I looked at them and I'm really trying to be neutral in how I describe it because heaven forbid, mm-hmm. you know, this pops up somewhere and it's like, I didn't mean for you to tell that story. Um, and I, I remember looking at them as we were getting, because I had been working with them, you know, on sort of transitioning and, and the plan and handing off and the team, you know, that was going to continue afterwards. I mean, it was a very complex kind of a transition. Um, you couldn't just pluck them out and then, you know, sort of go on about your business. It was, it was complicated. And I looked at them and I said, how do you feel? So how are you? I think I said, how are you feeling? And that one 
question. I mean, this was a person that was pretty tough, you know, and, you know, had, had been writing this for, you know, this change for, you know, a, a, a period of time, not showing a lot of emotion, pretty matter of fact. And that one question, sort of like, it was like little thread that you pull and it unraveled <laughs> everything. And, you know, they fought, they fought those tears, they fought, fought, fought. And then finally it was just sort of like, you know, let's just, let's just, let's put it all out. Let's just talk about that. We don't have to have mm -hmm. answers and solutions. There are no models for this. You know, there's no Gantt chart. Yeah. Let's just, let's just talk about how you actually feel. And, mm -hmm. and that was powerful. And that was really, really powerful. I, I learned a lot about that moment. I didn't plan on asking that question. It was spon mm -hmm. It was really a spontaneous moment. Uh, but I, I said to myself afterwards, I have to ask that question, question more. And, yeah. be, and be prepared to actually dive in on that personal side. Um, and I was able to kind of show compassion and show humanity that this wasn't just a business transaction, but um, yeah. it, it was good. Yeah. No, I think that's a really, <clears throat> that's something that I've ever since I was in business school was, again, they don't, you don't talk about your personal feelings when you're learning about accountancy or marketing or HR or any of the things that that would be in a function of a business. Um, and most what's really odd is that you don't talk about how other people feel about stuff and I how know. to navigate change. Right. Like none of like they talk about organizational development. They talk about like the theories and the concepts, but they, like there's no preparation on how do you have a conversation about a major change or right. how do you like you know, humanely lay someone off. Like none of those actual sort of soft critical skills, as I would call them, but soft mm -hmm. skills to others are actually given in business school. And so the entire time I'm sitting there in class, like, how do you have this conversation? Right. I mean, like, of course, strategically, this all makes sense. Like, it mm. makes sense why you would, you know, lay off this to employ automated robot. Like, it, all of that makes sense. Um, and so, but how? How do you do yeah, it? But how, yeah, how do you yeah. do it? And it's interesting that even to this day, you are still in that situation where you have to help leaders navigate those waters who have years of experience, have done some of the smartest things in anybody's career that you could imagine, but still struggle with that ability to process their own feelings, mm -hmm. let alone understand how do they make other, how other people might feel about change inside of their strategy plan or communication. Mm -hmm. Because we kind of compartmentalize things when we go into to, to work, so to speak. It's sort of like we put ourselves in this box and it's sort of like, you stay over there, you know, no, no crying here in blood sport, you know, <laughs> we, you stay in that box and, you know, we deal with other stuff in this other arena and you start to take that, um, you know, that other part out of the box, you know, who knows what can happen. And can you imagine, I mean, what could, yeah. what, what would a work, what would workplaces actually look like if you, if we did that more, I, I think it would be really, uh, it would yeah. be interesting and, and better, I think. Yes. It would be scary at first because you feel like we're taking too much into consideration. We're going to be paralyzed <laughs> if we were right. worried about how everybody's going to feel about this. I know. Well, you know, this is true. The, I mean, balance is, <laughs> there is a balance yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. But what I've learned is that by just taking the step to even think that way, mm -hmm. you can get 80% of it right. Yeah. You know, in terms of anticipating feelings or reactions to things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we've done recently internally is mm -hmm. um, we were given a list of questions that you can ask 
before you sort of communicate or make a decision or build a product or a service mm. or launch an initiative mm -hmm. that makes you stop and just think, oh, what happens if a bad actor gets a hold of this? How could they make this worse? How could they like, right? Like all of those types of questions that prepare you for how to anticipate, you know, the worst or the feelings or the, the mushy side of things, mm -hmm. even though that's not the core of the decision that needs to be made, even though yeah. it's not going to stop the decision from being made, it at least allows you to think about, okay, how do we position this? How do we say mm -hmm. this? How do we answer this? How do we prep people? How, mm -hmm. Who needs to learn about this first, second, third, fourth, right? You start to figure out solutions around it versus, you know, assuming everybody's compartmentalized because mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> right. I think that's such a great point. Yeah. Yeah. I actually talk about, I, I think about, um, I'm big on talking points and, um, mm -hmm. you know, sort of like prep and FAQs. Um, but the way you just described it though, um, it is much less clinical sounding <laughs> than the way yeah. I might do that. The way I might <laughs> talk about it, it's more sort of like, let's unpack some of this stuff in advance. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. And it's, it's from a, it's actually from a, a a technology company that asks these questions when they're building a product, but it can be taken into all sorts yep. of different decisions. Um, I'll share the list with you so you have it, but it's just like an, a really interesting list of questions that are that's cool um, that force you to think differently, even yeah. if you are decided. If that makes sense. Mm. I like that, Chris. And it, and at first, when I saw the 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 list, my first initial reaction was, "Oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming! Like, how are we going to be able to to?" To communicate anything, <laughs> right? And and then you start to recognize the value of making sure that you are prepared, mm -hmm. and 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 considering every every angle, every facet, uh, mm -hmm. as much as you can, as much as you can. You're you're always gonna you're not gonna hit everything, but right. Um, that that was my first reaction. It was like this is gonna be so challenging, so difficult. But in reality, you you need to take the steps to create the environment for people to communicate appropriately and effectively. Mm -hmm. And it's 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 much more important than creating something that that would harm someone, or you know, yeah. cause mm -hmm. cause problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that I think one of the you know, of those questions, the most powerful one, to, the most powerful one to me is, who or what disappears if your message or decision or product is successful? Because hmm. then you start to like, oh, who is going to be impacted the most, or what goes away? Like, what right. what is lost in this? Yeah. Because again, if you've already made that decision, it's right. just about acknowledging it, right? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you can start to really think about, you know, what you do um, as as far as fallout, right? Mm -hmm. If there's going to be fallout. Mm -hmm. You know, kudos to you guys. I mean, oftentimes in the technology space, you get a bad rap, and you know that that you're uh, seen as perhaps more robotic. You know, and, and that's, uh, you just blew that, you know, myth right out of the water. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately a lot of technologists do not ask these questions. So that, that's true. There is a reason that's why true. that rap exists, but <laughs> no, it's, it's something that does come up and, you mm -hmm. know, unfortunately you have to learn it the hard way enough times yeah. in order to understand how to sort of be prepared for the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it sounds like you're helping your leaders now after that one experience, really start asking themselves how they're feeling. So that way mm -hmm. they can see how it might impact others too. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. You know. It gives people permission, permission to, to be a little bit more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Joe, I wanted, I wanted to ask you um, about your book, Tough as Nails. And I wanted to know a little bit about what was the impetus, what compelled you to, to title that um, and, and, and really pushed you to, to write this book. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I was in this place of having thought for a long time that I wanted to write a book and I wanted to, again, you know, figuring out how to help people get to that next level. I often right. tease um, and say that I'm, you know, I, I carry this title of the chief encouragement officer because I'm always, mm-hmm. I'm always looking for ways to encourage people. Like, how can I encourage you? Or I'll sign mm-hmm. off sometimes and say, be encouraged, you know, and it's, it's a constant for me. And I thought I wanted, I always thought and said I was going to write a book. And I was in a place career-wise where I hadn't yet taken the business that I'm in now kind of to the full, to the mainstream. It was still, it was like a little, it was still a side hustle a little bit. Um, growing side hustle that I was having a huge amount of trouble managing um, <laughs> along with my day job. And I thought, I really want to write in this place of thinking about what's next for myself. I want to write something that can help other people. And, and I want to be able to put myself in the book in ways that help people with the experiences that I know other people have, have struggled with. And so in the book, you know, they're part, you know, there's some sort of biographical information there in terms of, uh, you know, what I shared about being a, uh, a chronic introvert and, you know, have, struggling to have found my voice, but I don't just make it all about that. I make it about, well, how do you, how do you turn the corner? How do you become a, a you know, a better listener of, you know, how do you, test your environment and take the temperature of a room, you know, how do you stay authentic uh, when, you know, everyone around you feels so inauthentic, you know, how do, how do you take a unique position about something and disagree without being disagreeable? There are so many things that I, you know, thought about and, you know, at times struggled with, at times coached other people on that were all so real that I just, I wanted to put it all in the book for other people to really um, glean from. And so all of those chapters are heavily researched, um, have some at times autobiographical information. At times they're, they're pulled from real life information with names, uh, and, and dates omitted to protect the innocent kind of a thing. Hmm. Um, and they're very much, um, action oriented, you know, so it's not just, I think you should do this. It's, it's very actionable. They're, they're all very actionable strategies and takeaways. And um, that's what made me happy about, about the book, being able to say, you know what, I can help you. And when 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 Kirkus Reviews described it, I mean, for, first of all, it was my first book review of, from a major uh, reviewing body. And, you know, for them to, for it to be positive was, I mean, I had a stomachache for like days leading up to when the when the when the uh, review came out, and for that to be so positive. But then they put this capsule around it, and they say it's a they said it was a well thought out career manual. And I thought, yes, that's exactly what it is. I never thought of it as a career manual, but that's exactly what it is. That's why I wrote the book. I wanted it to be a career manual, and they actually put um, put words around what where my heart was. So that's why that's why I wrote it. Nice. So what's Very been cool. some of the um, responses you've gotten? And have you gotten testaments from people who've read it and felt like their yeah. careers have changed because of it? Mm-hmm. We'd love yeah. to hear some of those stories. Lots of them. Those are, those are so, I mean, I can't even describe sort of what those feel like. I get them through um, in-mail on, on LinkedIn mm-hmm. um, often. Um, mm-hmm. At times, people literally take the time to sort of old school, you know, write to me. Um, you know, I get it through maybe emails, 
Um, or if I'm doing a post on LinkedIn, you know, someone will sort of slip in a comment around that around it. And so I get it in uh, in different ways, and it's it's just precious. It's precious to me. And it speaks to it, you know, generally, if I were to wrap up the themes that I hear, it's, you know, this is so helpful. I was going through X and I, and I, I got your book and it was so helpful to be able to sort of apply strategies. Or I could really relate to that chapter on the mean girl culture because, oh my gosh, you know, I'm working with someone right now where, you know, I'm going through the exact same, you know, exact same thing. Or, you know, I really struggle with representing myself um, you know, financially and, and negotiating for more money. And, you know, those tips were really useful, that kind of a thing. So people do get specific with me, which I love. Nice. And, and yeah, that's exactly why I wrote it. Nice. And <clears throat> I want to broach a topic and I'm going to try and say it where it does. It's not, I'm not trying to be offensive, but it is geared towards women. And okay. so I'm always curious to find out like, being a woman in the workplace, what what are some of those big impediments, blocks, challenges that you you would love for our listeners to understand or at least hear about? Because I think sometimes it's it's very hard when you are not a part of the community mm -hmm. um, to to see it, feel it, experience it, and then know how to not promote it or to mm -hmm. avoid it or not be it, so to speak. If you are the impediment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that are that are unique to being a, a woman in a the woman workplace. in the workplace. Yes. Yeah. I I would say, oof. you know, I was. I, it makes me. It makes me think of. I think it was a couple of months or so ago. I was on a webinar or something like that, and I, I think the topic was um, the number of women that have uh, left the workplace because of the pandemic. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, that had, you know, decided to homeschool and, um, you know, just really stepped back and, and made personal decisions that have impacted their careers. And, you know, lo and behold, the entire uh, uh, industry, you know, writ large that they may have been a part of when it was so, you know, there was such a dearth of female representation to begin with. And, and, and those, mm -hmm. those man, th that exodus has really taken it taken a toll. And I remember thinking to myself, as I was listening to people talk, that people tend to think of women as blocks um, of, you know, so that, you know, that there's this kind of one um, perspective that we all share. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and therefore there should be one solution that can be applied. And that's just so mm -hmm. wrong, you mm -hmm. know, and, and so I think the, the big takeaway for me is, you know, as a woman in the workplace, I can have divergent opinions about things and I don't have to feel as though I'm betraying my female, you know, my sisters, you know, <laughs> or, or that, mm -hmm. you know, there, that there's some, you know, code that I've broken. I, I think that allowing, you know, women in the workplace to be as different and as unique as, as we all are as people is the best thing that you can do. Uh, to support us um, and to not make assumption, assumptions about anything, uh, you know, that's attached to why we work, why we, you know, why we choose, you know, to work at home, why we, you know, decide that, you know, flexibility is more important in some cases and, you know, money just straight up 
salary is a more important in other in other cases it doesn't have to attach itself to you know who we are and um i think that's an important concept concept not only for employers to get but also for women to get um mm. you know to allow to allow ourselves to actually just think a little bit more outside the box um and have opinions that may be a little bit a little bit un, unpopular you know mm. um and and feel okay about that um i think when we get to that stage um that diversity of thought and diversity of perspective um can go a long way in and just female representation in in the workplace that's really insightful no i I would say that I agree, but I'm not a woman, but I, I hear you and that sound like it resonates with me what you're saying. Mm. Um, um, and I'm, I'm also speaking from just being a minority myself where it's like, I might have unpopular opinions that I'm popular in the black community. It doesn't mean right. I'm not black. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I, just, like, oh. yeah. I have a chapter um, actually in my book about that. It's called age and race, race and age factors. Uh, and I talk about the sort of, the, you know, like I can, yeah, we don't all think the same way. No. <laughs> yeah. Don't make assumptions. Yes. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit of a different topic, um, but yeah. about, you know, I'm always really interested because I know you work really tactfully with executives, leaders, and, 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 that, and such, and they're looking for a lot of tactical, you know, very grounded and, and you know, <laughs> academic, academically backed kind of methodologies and, and understandings. Um, I'm curious your opinion, or at least your experience of how, how these people would, re would react to the word love in the workplace. <laughs> like, hmm. because I don't get to meet all of them. We worked with a lot of them. We worked with a wide range, but I, I just love asking because you work with these folks on the regular, mm -hmm. how would you how would you say on average or just in your experience they would react to the word love? Um, I think they would cringe. Um, I think they would recoil, and I think they'd be interested still. I think all all three. Uh, mm. I think they'd be interested. Uh, Perfect. And and they'd be interested because I don't believe I come across as, you know goofy-ish and, you know, sort of like, <laughs> you know, let's talk about love, you know, I don't believe I, I don't believe I come across that way. And so, you know, because I, I, I you know, I tend to sort of be very bottom line-ish in terms, you know, you know, like, what are we meeting about? What's the agenda? You know, work for, let's work backwards here and, and actually, you know, get stuff done. I'm a get stuff done type of person. If I'm now talking if I'm putting on that other hat and now talking about love, um, they're like, "Hmm, huh, that's different." I think it piques their curiosity and they 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 want to know a little bit more, because I do have that side to me. Um, but I do think that you know, for the most part, their natural bent wouldn't be wouldn't be that. Why do you and why do you think that is? I guess just an experience. Like when these types of spaces get approached, what is the what is the detractor? Mm, I, I mean, because I think we've, you know, well, you know, it's interesting. I think it's generationally different because, you know, I'm a Gen Xer and, you know, I work, uh, I would say quite a bit with um, maybe late Xers and boomers, uh, you know, so they're 
you know, tend to be maybe a little bit older than me or my age. And then uh, there's a generational difference, I think, between those categories and um, young Xers and and Gen, uh, what is it? What is it? What are we on? Y or Z? I lost, <laughs> is, I lost uh, <laughs> is, it's Z. Uh, Gen Z is yeah. uh, the sort of the up and coming yeah. and next in the workforce mm -hmm. generation. And then right. and the y Gen Y millennials are interchanged. Oh, okay. People. There you go. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like those, um, you know, sort of younger generations are a little uh, sort of, they're more complicated and they, they sort of wrap up, they wrap everything up in, in that conversation, you know, sort of how they feel and what they thought and, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't realize this was going to happen. And so they are naturally more in, you know, sort of in sync with those kinds of conversations because that's just how they're, they tend to be wired. This is a generalization. I don't make it shouldn't be a sweeping, you know, it doesn't, mm -hmm. we'll have sure. exceptions to all of this, but they tend mm -hmm. to just sort of be wired that way. And they come into the workplace thinking that, you know, this is how, you know, this is how I can just be, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, when you get to the older generations, you know, I think we were honestly ta taught to just be a little bit more guarded, uh, uh, you know, circumspect and just, you know, not, not as trusting and, and not as uh, direct around a lot of things because, you, you know, hey, you never know, never know who you're dealing with there on the other side of that table. Um, everything is a constant negotiation and, um, you know, assessing uh, and so it's a little bit different, I think, generationally. Um, and so I think you'll see those differences when you start to broach those topics. Um, but that said, I really do think it comes down to the person. I really do. Um, I, I, I have one client in mind that I, who makes me smile and I just love working with, with him. Um, he's the CEO of a you know, legacy um, organization where he's just so enjoyable you know, and so authentic. I could totally see him, you know, jumping into the conversation around love in the workplace and being so intrigued about it. Whereas I have other clients where I would never, you know, so I would really think long and hard before I actually, and how I brought, I brought something like that up just because of the way they, they carry themselves, the way they think about life in general. So it really does depend on the on the person and the per and the person that I enjoy, you know, that I that I'm talking about that I think would just be all over it is a uh, I forget what's what's before a boomer, a traditionalist, I think. Um, I mean, he's up he's up there, you know, he's, he's up there um, and he's very much um, soft at heart and wonderful as an individual. Yeah, I I asked because, you know, I think we, we sit in a very uh, interesting part, uh, moment in history mm -hmm. that's ex accelerated, in my opinion, through the pandemic is that it's like a workplace revolution, I think, mm. is, is coming. Uh, you mentioned it yourself. There's this divide in just how the younger, you know, workforce operates, what yeah. they expect, what they need to be happy, what they desire in, a, in satisfaction um, is different wired differently, completely different mindset and culture. Mm. And, and we're sitting in that environment right now where the old guard is still in charge, mm. but it, but it is transitioning, right? It is, mm -hmm. it is, it is changing over. And, mm -hmm. and now more than ever, you know, culture and a lot of, a lot of these topics, especially as you talk, start talking about diversity, inclusion, equity, mm. um, but culture in general, and all these topics that 
you know, normally we're not necessarily discussed as much vulnerability in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Bring bring your whole self to work. These are all uh, products of these the the clash of these two worlds. Yes. And, and the reality is, I mean, the revolution is bound to come, in my opinion, because the, the young folks will eventually um, take over. But I, I see that I see that um, it's just I've seen so many environments where these young folks come with their dreams, they come with their ambitions, they come with their desires and what they need, mm-hmm. um, but they have to conform right mm-hmm. to to leadership that is operating in a very in a way that's completely different from what they want to be, and and it kind of slows down this revolutionary process, right? Because these kids or these younger folks adopt that as the mm-hmm. way to, to to move up. Mm-hmm. They they learn they learn from that. They perpetuate it and they kind of propagate it forward into their leadership style. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I do believe that the world is changing around those kinds of things. And that, but, but I still think that's the norm, you know, for now, I still think how companies are structured, how people are kind of laid out in organizations and how performance is measured nowadays. It's all still in that same legacy uh, system. And Mm -hmm. so a big part of love as a business strategy and what we believe in is, is bringing humanity back to the workplace. Mm. And it's not really a shot at the generational gap. It's not shot at older folks versus younger folks or anything like that. But We've seen like statistically from metrics that, you know, this message is very well embraced by the, by, by the younger workforce, by the up and coming workforce. Um, and they're looking for their leaders to meet them somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Looking, looking for them to pick up, even if just a little bit of it, but to, to have these conversations to come to the table um, and not just be, you know, a boss. Uh, mm-hmm and something more that can that can help them get there and so that's why i had to ask i'm very always very curious because you get this opportunity to kind of work um for bird's eye view with these with these these environments mm-hmm. um does yeah. that resonate with you does that like do you see that happening in your space and the, the challenges that these leaders deal with yeah i mean there's so many thoughts that i have jeff when you when you have i mean there's so much what you to unpack of what you just said because we are in in this time, this kind of revolutionary time, and uh, there are a lot of people that have such, you know, just uh, strong opinions about a lot of things, and you know, it's and it's incredibly polarizing, and it's going to be the leaders that actually rise. The the in my view, the leaders that actually rise to this occasion, this like unprecedented moment in time, in in this workplace setting where we're talking about things that we would have never talked about just three years ago. And all of a sudden we're sort of, everything is now on, on, you know, part of a conversation that is very uncomfortable for, for some people that, you know, you don't really want to slice and dice and you thought you could just kind of come to work and, you know, leave all the other stuff out, you know, outside of the workplace. And, you know, there's some arguments for maybe that being, you know, the way it should be in some cases and there are arguments for it not, but the leader that rises to the occasion that can sort of deal with all of the, you know, issues uh, and run the business and get stuff done and actually move your team forward and have people motivated and happy and staying, uh, I think is the leader that is, is the authentic, I bring, I bring all of me to work, even when I don't know what I'm doing, even when I don't know what I'm talking about, even when I thought I had the answer and I really messed up and I can say that. 
I can actually be honest about that, you know, or I can say, you know what, I'm having a really bad day. Um, that doesn't mean I'm a, you know, a loser or a, le a leader that you shouldn't follow, but it just means that I'm a human being that, you know, um, struggles with a lot of the same things that you're struggling with. I think the leader that can figure out that sweet spot is actually going to rise to this occasion. And we might be really shocked at what the, what that leader, when I say what the leader looks like, I mean, in terms of age, I mean, in terms of background, you know, I, we might be really shocked at the next sort of generation and wave of leadership. Um, and so while we're hanging on to our kind of, you know, old school models and, you know, how we always did stuff and, you know, when we're, while we're hanging on to that, there's a whole new crop that's coming up that's really thinking about things very differently. Uh, and, and I think we're going to have to make space for that because honestly, we're going to learn a lot from them um, and they from us. You know, it's a two-way street. Uh, but But I think the workplace setting is going to be just a lot different, you know, because the world is a lot different. So if the world is a lot different, how could the workplace stay the same? That doesn't mm -hmm. really make sense, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I, yeah. you know, I don't know. I have a lot of different viewpoints that this, this podcast could go on, you know, <laughs> for a long time about that, but I'll just leave it there. Yeah. yeah I'll leave absolutely. It yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think there is a, probably a whole other podcast that we could just dive totally. into that but I wanted to save time today to talk a little bit just to, before we close, okay. just a little bit more about um, WGN and HR, like what you do and make mm -hmm. sure the audience knows, you know, how they can reach you or find your book. If you can just take a moment and, and tell us about that real quick. Okay. So the, the way to think about WGN and HR, which feels like a mouthful is that it started off by uh, it, it, with me calling it who's got next in HR. And the reason I called it that was because I was on a stage talking, doing a keynote speech. <clears throat> and I was talking to a bunch of senior HR professionals about, well, what's next for you? Who's got next in this audience? You're always, always, you know, sort of worrying about someone else getting taken care of, developed, hired, et cetera. Who's got next here? And I, and I said that to them. And from that moment, an idea was born around what we need in the field of HR to get to that next level and to help other people get to that next level. It started out differently. It's now morphed into um, these three practice areas of, you know, the executive search, finding talent at the C-suite level, HR solutions or strategic solutions, major transformations and coaching, which is a smaller part of, part of the business. But WGN in HR um, is, is just that. And so, WGN and HR hyphen consulting.com is how you can reach me and how you can get on the website and learn so much more, sign up for a free consultation or just good conversation. You never know where it can go. And um, my contact information is there, but I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, I love connecting with new people on LinkedIn. Um, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. And so I'd love to be um, connected that way. Um, the book tough as nails, finding your voice as a woman in the workplace is on Amazon. You can get it on my my author site, joannrencher.com, but it's also on Amazon. So you can feel free to dig into the book. There's a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of good nuggets for people to, to learn. And men as well, by the way, just because it's geared towards, <laughs> you know, towards women yeah. doesn't mean men can't benefit. So, Absolutely. Very true. Joe, um, a lot of insight, a lot of wisdom. Really enjoyed the time we had to pick your brain today. Yeah. Really appreciate you taking the time. 
to talk to us and everyone please do go check out uh wgn and hr and, and the book and i understand that you you know i know you had a podcast that you put on pause do you have plans on bringing that back i do i, I i'm really thinking about rebranding and um sort of being more relevant in the moment the, the moment the conversation we were just having in terms of the type of leadership that's needed for today mm -hmm. um, i'm thinking about rebranding around that so yeah i'm excited to sort of resurrect that at the appropriate time but i really enjoyed this conversation jeff and um chris and and frank i really really um love this topic and these related topics and so the chance to get to talk about it um at length was a lot of fun thank you likewise thank it's you my pleasure thank you absolutely and uh, as always thank you for listening if you're listening in please be sure um i think uh, joe accidentally and inadvertently already plugged our book love as a business strategy because that that leader that might surprise you we describe that leader in our opinion in our book love as a oh, business strategy nice. so please check that out on amazon um, or your local you know book supplier and then um, as always with the podcast we will be posting new episodes every wednesday and if you like what you heard please leave a review uh, subscribe all the good stuff tell your friends and you can always check us out at software.com slash labs l-a-a-b-s and with that, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Chris. And we will see you all next week.